like this morning that I wanted to do an experiment. So I'm going to teach about worship and the presence of God, and I, I believe that the presence of God is, is here, and I believe that as we worship, I'll teach about this in a moment, but it actually creates a house for the presence of God to manifest in. And uh, when the presence of God is somewhere, uh, a lot of times people get healed, and, and many times without anybody praying for them. And uh, we've seen that here, but a lot of times it doesn't happen unless you draw attention to it and expect it to happen. So I'm going to try something. I've never done this before. So uh, nothing may happen, but don't feel bad for me, all right? I'm, I'm, we're, exper we're experimenting. But uh, what I'm going to do, I'm going to teach. And while I teach, what I believe is going to happen is that God is going to touch some of you in a physical way. And the way that you will know is that you'll feel something in your body. You'll start to feel hot or some sort of electricity or, or uh, something. I don't know. However, however you sense uh, the presence of God. And if you feel that begin to happen, don't feel bad. You aren't, you aren't interrupting the service. What I want you to do is just stand up. And, and sometimes that act of faith in standing up and, and stand there until I see you and I'll acknowledge you and, uh, and then I'll say bless you or something and then, and then you can sit back down. And what I believe is going to happen is that several people will be healed by the end of the service without anybody praying. How cool. Okay. All right. I can feel God touching you right now. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. We bless her body right now more more in Jesus' name. More in Jesus' name. I actually saw this happening. Is anybody else feeling God touching right now? Stand up if you are. Don't feel embarrassed. Okay, don't do... You did really good, sister. God's touching you. I believe you're healed. Um, I, I, believe in, I believe in doing things in faith, okay? But, but today, I want you to just do it if, if you feel something happening. Does that make sense? Just, just today. All right? So there, I believe there'll be more of you. So just pay attention. Don't get so engrossed in the message that you, pay, that you don't notice what God's doing, okay? All right, if you have a Bible, open up to Genesis 28. We're talking about worship. In Genesis 28, there's this amazing story about Jacob. And Jacob is fleeing his brother Esau. And he goes uh, to a foreign land, and he, he doesn't have any uh, possessions or anything. He's just running away. And he goes to sleep in the middle of nowhere, and he has this dream. And in this dream, he sees a uh, ladder stretching up into heaven. And he says there's angels ascending on the ladder and descending. And then he wakes up from this dream, and he makes this amazing statement in Genesis 28, verse 17, and he says, and he was afraid, and he said, how dreadful is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Everybody say this with me. The house of God, the house of 
is the gate of heaven. All right, what does this mean? It means, I understand God is, is everywhere. How many of you believe that? The, the omniscience of God is a, is a real thing. However, you know, I've, been in, I've led some church services before where it's like God wasn't there. Okay, and now, now I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm not criticizing myself, but there's a, there's a reality that there's the omnipresence of God and there's the manifested presence of God, which is the, the unveiled or the revealed presence of God. It's he, he shows up in a way like he is with our sister here. He's, he's touching her in a physical uh, way. And uh, it's our goal for that to happen. And it says wherever that happens, wherever there's a, a manifestation of God's presence, that's called the house of God, and that place is a gateway to heaven. Bless you in the name of Jesus. Be healed right now. Thank you. More in Jesus' name. So our logo, if you notice our logo, it's an up arrow and a down arrow. It's actually a riff on Jacob's ladder. And so it's this idea that we want to be a house of God where people can come and, and go up and touch heaven, but also where people can be filled up and then heaven flows out of you. You know that the Bible says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which means you're the house of God, which means that you're a gate of heaven. That means you're a walking, talking God encounter waiting to happen. My friend Nicole down here, she was, she was telling me this story. I had her tell it to me again so I get it right. She was leaving this uh, uh, massage place, and she saw this lady uh, over there, like out in the parking lot, just sobbing, just crying, really hard tears, and she thought, I need to stop and, and talk to this lady. So she got out of her car, and she went over there, and the lady's just distraught, and she asked her, you know, introduced herself and asked her what's wrong. The lady couldn't really talk. And uh, uh, so she just said, well, I'm a Christian. Can I pray for you? And she's, you know, yes. And, and so Nicole starts praying for her, and she sees this picture, real faint, of a butterfly. It's weird, right? So she says to the girl, I don't know if this means anything to you, but as I pray for you, I'm just, I'm seeing this, this beautiful butterfly. And the girl starts, like, hyperventilating. <laughs> and and she, she manages to get out. When I was a girl, I had a butterfly farm. I, I raised butterflies. I, I had caterpillars. And I, it was my favorite thing to do was, was raise these butterflies. And Nicole's, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> and she said, she said uh, I, I just I believe God wants you to know that he knows you. And that he loves you and he sees you right where you are. And she prayed for her. But, but how many of you understand that Nicole was a gate of heaven? That, that girl met, met Jesus, had an encounter with God right there. It doesn't always have to be as dramatic as something like that. My friend Tyler over here is in the middle of a, an amazing God encounter. When it gets done, I'm going to have him tell you about it. But, but it's, it's wild. He heard the voice of God drive to Iowa and visit this church. <laughs> and so he did. It's really it's phenomenal. Uh, so I'll tease it. He can tell it later. When I'm, I'm waiting to hear the whole story. So it's God's still putting it together. But I love stories like that. But you know, it doesn't have to be that that dramatic. It can. How many of you know 
that, that sometimes the best thing you can do is, is be kind to somebody in a way that, that uh, they're not used to. Try being unreasonably happy on your job sometime. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy is one-third of the kingdom. If you'll be happy, you can give people a God encounter. The house of God is the gate of, of heaven. Now, here's something phenomenal. Look at Psalm 22, verse 3. Psalm 22 is the Psalm of David. It's actually about the crucifixion, but right in the middle he makes this point. He says, but you are holy, O you that inhabit the praises of Israel. God lives in you. He lives in me. In the Old Testament, he lived in a house, but David recognized something profound about God, which is that somehow he actually lives inside of worship. He inhabits praise. When we worship together and, and sing, and now worship is, is far more than what we do on Sunday morning. It's a lifestyle. But if, if I turn my affections towards God, if I turn my love towards God, a phenomenal thing happens. He begins to manifest on me and through me. How many of you will acknowledge that in worship you encounter God? You see, you, it's... It's this reality. Why? Because, because in the spirit somehow, and I'm going to talk about how this happens more clearly next week, but our worship, it's like it creates a, a building, a structure in the spirit realm that the presence of God then comes and inhabits. It is cool. It's, it's, actually, it's actually phenomenal. And when you, when you learn this, um, it really helps your prayer life <laughs> because I don't know. Sometimes I've I've been in prayer and it's boring. Just being honest, anybody ever prayed that was boring? I'm like, oh God, help me, deliver me from this moment. <laughs> Why is that? Because I'm doing it religiously and legalistically. But if I if I actually if I actually turn my heart towards God and I start to think about how much I love God. Then, then I can actually have an encounter with him in my prayer time, and that's fun. Yeah. You can do that for a long time. Amen. That's the greatest pleasure there is, actually. So I want to talk to you about this concept that we can actually build a house for God through worship. This was, this was David's dream. We read this scripture last week in Psalm 132, verses 4 and 5. We won't turn there. But he actually made a, a promise to God. He swore in his heart that he wanted to build a house for God. I want to have that same mentality. I, now, God lives in me, all right? And, and Jesus accomplished that. But I want to live a lifestyle of worship. I want, I want my family to be a worshiping family because I know that if my family is a household full of worship, the presence of God can dwell in my family. I know that if I do my job as an act of worship unto the Lord, that the presence of God can, can rest even on my business place. And of course, for me personally, I want to build this church in a way that the presence of God dwells here permanently. But I wanted to, I was just captivated by this scripture. 
as I was reading it the other day. It's in 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 22. So this is uh, about David's heart to build a house for God. And if you know this story, David just loved the Lord and he wanted to build a temple. And he actually told Nathan the prophet, he said, I want to build a house for God, a permanent house. And Nathan at first says, do all that's in your heart. But then Nathan leaves and God speaks to him. And God says, no, David, I'm sorry, but you're not the person to build the house. And he actually says, your son's going to build it. Well, later, David recounts this experience to Solomon. And this is what he says in 1 Chronicles 22, verses 7 and 8. And David said to Solomon, my son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house under the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed blood abundantly and you have made great wars. You will not build a house under my name because you have shed much blood in my sight on the earth. But behold, a son will be born unto you that shall be a man of rest. Everybody say, a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies round about, for his name will be Solomon, like Shalom, peace. And I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. Okay, this is not God being mean to David. In fact, God was really kind to David. God let David build the tabernacle of David, and David effectively got what he wanted. He got to, he got to go in and worship God 24-7. But he had a heart to build this temporary, excuse me, this permanent structure for God. David wanted to build something for God that would outlive him. It's a profound desire. And God says to David, you're a man of blood. I can't let you build it. Instead, I'm going to have Solomon, who's a man of rest, build it. Man of blood, man of rest. Who gets to build the permanent structure? man of rest. What's that tell us? The presence of God only permanently dwells in that which is built by grace. Not through human striving. It's not that, it's not that God was mad at David for, for fighting all these wars, all right? God told him to do it. It's a, it's a, it's a prophetic picture of, of the church and what's meant to happen. On the one hand, I've got David who is, who is working really hard. He's putting his blood, sweat, and tears into something. And I believe in working really hard. I'm going to explain that in a second. But, but God is saying prophetically, it's not about your, your labor. It's not about your human effort. It's not about how hard you try or how good you are or, or how, how righteous and holy you are in your flesh. Instead, it's about inheriting something from your father and building with that. So here's the picture. In the New Testament, Jesus shed all his blood, right? And he made a provision for us. In the Old Testament, David made the provision for Solomon to build the house. If you read the story, he donated like billions of dollars of his own money. He financed the thing. Tons and tons of gold. He got the plan from God. Wrote it all out. He even figured out relationships. He forged relationships with, with Hiram so that Solomon could get workers. 
So basically, Solomon shows up. He's got the money. He's got the plan. He's got the helpers. And what David says is, all right, now be brave and do what God told you to do. But what's he doing? He's using the provision that his father provided to build something permanent for God. What's Jesus do for us? Jesus already made provision for whatever you need. He already purchased your salvation. He already purchased your healing, your your deliverance, whatever it is that you need. He already bought it on the cross. You don't need to pay your blood to get it. If you want to build something that outlasts you, you've got to build it from rest. You can build something temporary that will house the presence of God through striving, but it'll die after you die. The tabernacle of David didn't outlive David. I really think this is why a lot of times revivals and stuff don't make it, don't make it past another generation. I want to make this real practical. I know I'm kind of talking high concept, but I want to build my family into a house for the presence of God, right? What's that look like? Well, if I'm a man of blood, what I'm going to do is I'm going to legalistically force my kids to worship God. And the presence of God may be in my house while I've got control over my kids, but one day I'll lose control of them. And that structure will crumble. I've got to build my house as a house of grace. Where my kids know that they're loved and accepted unconditionally and that God loves and accepts them unconditionally and that he's not mad at them and that he's a good father. And I need to model that. Now, it's not that we don't work hard. You know, sons, so here's the deal. The, the, The man of blood symbolizes a servant. And a servant will work hard. But the, the, the man of rest symbolizes his son. And if sons know who they are, they'll actually outwork servants. If they know who they are. Sometimes people say, you know, Pastor, why don't you tell people to live holy more often? Well, uh, because people, most of the time, most of you know that you're supposed to live holy. And what I don't want to do is create an environment where I'm forcing you to legalistically strive to do something. If you've been born again, you're holy on the inside. What you need is somebody to tell you who you are. If you'll find out you're a son, you're a daughter, you will, you'll, you'll live right. In fact, you'll outwork the, the one that's striving in legalism. So what's that mean? It means that we worship from rest. We worship from a place of security and love, knowing that the Father in heaven has already made provision for everything that we need. You know that whatever you build in the flesh, you've got to maintain through the flesh. That's hard. I haven't done this perfectly, but that's why I've worked really hard. I've tried not to... (laughs) Jesus has had to help me. But I've... (laughs) I've tried hard not to get in legalism as, as a pastor. My personal relationship with God, I, I do really good. But it's, it's hard sometimes. My, my pastor friend Brian and I, 
we're both church planters, and we talk about this, and you worry about stuff sometimes as a pastor, you know? Am I being nice enough to people? You know, am I being friendly enough? Am I, am I working hard enough? You know, am I sending out enough ads? Am I, am I doing all this stuff? And, and uh, I can get focused on myself. And what I've learned is whatever I build through the flesh, whatever I build through anxious activity, anybody ever tried to do something through a bunch of anxious activity? Well, the only way you're going to keep that is through a bunch of anxious activity. And I don't, want, I don't want this church to kill me and my family. I'm serious because I want to I do this until I'm dead. And I'm not going to do it if I burn myself out. So I've got to build it in grace. Because if, if Jesus does it, if grace does it, then grace will sustain it. If I do it, then it rests on me. And man, I don't have shoulders big enough, but thank God he does. Thank you, Jesus. So, how do I actually build in grace? How do I build my family, my church, my business, etc., as places of worship that will house the presence of God? Several principles really quickly. The first thing you want to do is recognize that you cannot earn something from God. I know we talk about this a lot, but we, we can't overemphasize this. If, if Jesus has already given you the whole kingdom, that's what he said, right? I bless you, sister, in the name of Jesus. Be healed right now. More, Jesus. This is really encouraging. I forgot what I was saying. Let me go back to my notes. People are being healed. Is there anybody else while I'm distracted? All right. So we can't earn anything, anything from God because, oh, okay, so what I said was if, if Jesus already purchased everything, then you, you can't buy it. I use this example, which is really silly, but it's like if, how many of you love grandma? Anybody have a grandma that would buy you too much stuff? My grandma spoils my kids, which she loves to do, which is great. But, you know, if grandma buys you something, she, you know, let's say she buys you this brand new pair of sneakers, all right, and she puts it in a present and she gives it to you. Well, you can, you can refuse to open the present. You can open it and not use it. You can do a whole bunch of stuff with it, but what you can't do is pay for it. Because even, even if you go to the store... And you say, look, I, I'm going to give you some money for these shoes my grandma bought me. They aren't going to take it because it's already been paid for. Everything in the kingdom is paid for. That's why you're supposed to believe big because you don't have to pay for it. Peace in my relationships has been purchased, financial provision, whatever, whatever you need. The presence of God. This is the biggest one. You know, why does the presence of God show up here? And people get healed. Well, I tell you what, it's not because I'm some super holy person. It's, that deserved a better amen. Why? Why? I'm serious. If you think God shows up here because I'm a holy person, you need to change your thinking. It's not because of that. It's because of Jesus. Now, I have to put faith in Jesus, but all that looks like is saying crazy stuff like, well, we're going to try and experiment. 
you know, some of you are scared to pray for somebody. Look, just go up to them and say, look, I'm about to pray for you. <laughs> the worst thing that could happen is nothing. So just go for it. Thank you, Josh. So what, is this, what does this look like? I got to think. Don't think I have to do A so that God will do B. It's, it's not transactional. It's not I, I got to pray and read the Bible a certain amount, you know, and there's like checklist in heaven, and God's like, well, you've earned three answered prayers today. That's total nonsense. What you do instead is you think, God has already given me A. What do I need to do as B to receive what he's already provided? Or more practically, you know, this is the one I was telling you about that sometimes I have to struggle with, is I have to do everything right so God will send people to my church. Well, that's a legalistic performance mentality. That'll, that'll kill me and everybody on my leadership team, so I try not to do that. Instead, here's what you do, all right? You think, you think God has already placed on the inside of me, by grace, all kinds of good things. All of you have good things on the inside of you because of Jesus. You have giftings, anointings, talents, wisdom. And what you're trying to do is not get God to give you something or, or, or give you a gift. What you're trying to do is figure out who you are so you can let out what he's already put in you. Amen. That's a lot easier. In line with that, letter B, you want to work your strengths and be yourself. We've, we've dealt with this before, so I won't dwell on it, but, uh, you know, several of you were here, I think, a couple weeks ago, um, Marcus Wick was here. Marcus is a friend of mine, and he has a traveling prophetic ministry. And so Marcus taught up here, and then at the end, he came down here and prophesied to a bunch of people. How many of you were here for that? And so, you know, he prophesied to Casey, and he was like, you're going to, and lots of people have prophesied to Casey that, that she's going to write songs and stuff. But he gave her a specific word about how it was going to happen and stuff. And, and she told us the week after that was the best week of songwriting I've ever had. Now, look, uh, what Marcus did, you know, he taught, which was good, because he does have an anointing to do that. But then he came down here and prophesied. And in my opinion, that was the more anointed part. Why? Because that was it when he was being most himself. And, you know, before uh, he started this prophetic ministry, I was, I'm on the, the board of his ministry, but he, before that, he was thinking that God had called him to plant a church. And the reason was, is he saw the need for it. And uh, if there's one criticism I have of, uh, it's not really a criticism, but a, where I went to Bible college, I don't believe there's enough churches being planted out of there, but we're trying to change that. Amen? And, and so my pastor and I, we feel that we're called to, to start this church planting deal. And, you know, it's small, but it's work. I mean, we've got three churches, so it'll keep growing. But anyway, um, but anyway, so Marcus, he, he thought that he was supposed to, to start a church. And, you know, I was helping him, but I just always felt kind of uncomfortable about it. And uh, anyway, one day in the middle of church, my pastor uh, called Marcus out and he said, stand up. And he prophesied to him. And he said, 
you're not called to start a church. Now, you don't do this unless you're, unless you're you know, really sure that you're right, okay? And, and so he said, he said, you're not called to start a church. You are a prophet. You are supposed to start a prophetic ministry. We need prophets in the body of Christ, and we need you to embrace who you are. Well, Marcus had a history with prophetic people, and he basically thought a lot of them were weird, and so he didn't want to be one of those people. <laughs> but when my, my pastor, you know, he prophesied that to him, he got Marcus to embrace who he was. And we need people like that in the body of Christ. We need you. We don't need you to be somebody else. I can't, you know, I can't. My wife is a physical therapist. And I, and, you know, there's things that, that she does. It's, it's like when you're in your grace, there's a giant that you were born to kill. You were born to kill it. And it's easier for you to kill that giant than somebody else's. And so I look at some of these giants that my wife kills, and I'm like, man, Thank God you're called to do that. I can't do that. I can't. I mean, really, I mean, I could work really hard. I could strive in the flesh to do what she does. And I might succeed a little bit, but not anywhere where she does. It requires less effort for her. And this is why we all feel bad all the time, because when you do something in your grace, you sometimes are, give in to the lie that it's too easy. Now, I mean, it's hard. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to do this church planting and stuff. But, but all the stuff I do here, it's, it's within my grace. It doesn't mean I like it all the time. You know, the other, I, I was remembering this story. It was like it, when I worked for Lawson um, a, a few years ago. Boy, man, time flies. But anyway, back, back when I was in Colorado, I had this situation come up with some of my small group leaders. And there was some, you know, contention and stuff. And I, I had to go in there and sort of, mediate this personality dispute and uh i was talking to molly about it and i'm like i i, I really don't want to do this <laughs> I, if you like doing uh confrontation you're probably doing it wrong but i'm like i don't i don't want to do you know this and i i was joking but i i was sort of half serious i was like would you do this for me and uh molly's like well you know i would because i love you but it really sounds like a max problem <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and I'm like, why do you have to be so wise? And... <laughs> but what she's saying was, that's a giant you're born to kill. Yeah. Why? Because I'm good at getting people to get along. Because I understand people, and that's one of my graces and stuff. I'm not good at other things. But I can do that. And so part of, part of operating in grace and building in grace is being yourself. Finding out what you're good at and doing it. Minimizing your strengths is not humility. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Paul said that I labored more abundantly than anybody else, but I did so according to the grace that was, in, that was on my life. What's that mean? Paul wrote a whole bunch of scripture, more than anybody else in the New Testament. But that was within his grace. Paul was brilliant. He was good at it. It was easier for him than some of these other people. You can work really, really hard when you're in your grace. And, the, you know, the crazy thing is, is you can be working really hard and people will think, man, you're like a, 
you work really hard. And it's like, well, I guess, but I'm doing stuff I love. And so it's within my grace, so I can do it. I can keep going. All right, you want to remember that every good thing comes from God. We talked about that at length. God's not doing bad stuff to you. Praise Jesus. And then the last part is you just, you just I'm trying to do this more and more. My pastor told me this story. He, he, uh, he said, when I turned 50, it's like something happened to me. And if you know my pastor, he's, he's, he'll be here again in the, in the fall. He, he has the most energy probably of any person I've ever met. He's a high-motor, driven uh, individual. And um, I probably would have not enjoyed being in his first church because he was, he was really intense. Okay, but he said, I turned 50. And it's like something happened to me. I had an encounter with God, and I just I started to live at peace a lot more. I started to enter into rest. And, you know, his ministry, the fruitfulness in his ministry has, has exploded since then. You can do far more from rest than you can ever do from striving. It's not inactivity. What it is is it's, it's realizing that I'm free from having to prove stuff, earn stuff, or live up to somebody else's standards. And it means having your sins forgiven forever and being in right relationship with God because of the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Those of you that stood during that message, Stand up and check yourself real quickly. Do you have a physical, if you had a physical problem, can you tell if you're better? What was wrong with you? <laughs> That's amazing. Anybody else? God touched you. What? Who else? Did, what was wrong with you? Oh, you just felt God touch you, and you stood up. Wow. Well, good. Praise God. Praise God. All right. Well, you know, I think that's just a down payment. That's amazing. That nobody prayed really for you guys. So I think that's. Why does that happen? It's. It's. Just the presence of God. Why is the presence of God here? Because we're trying to build from rest. Let's all stand up. If I could have my prayer team come down here. Whatever you need this morning, God's already provided it by His grace. And just reach out and receive it by faith. One of the best ways to do that is just to come down here and pray with the prayer minister. They'll believe God with you. Amen. Somebody's right knee is being healed. Somebody's right elbow. If you have those problems in a second, come down and Father, we just thank you for your extravagant goodness. We 
thank you that we don't have to earn anything from you, but that we can, we can relax and, and receive based on who you are and who Jesus is. And I just pray a fresh revelation of sonship over your people. Let them see who they are in Christ. And Lord, we just thank you for that. We receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you. If you need personal prayer, come down. If you, if, uh, you want to meet Molly and I, we'll be right down here. Otherwise, have a great week. We'll see you next week. Remember, it's Pizza Sunday, inverted service. Thank you, Jesus.